So Kiora, Morena, Jolsan, um, I'm Colin. This is the kind of the first week for those of you who are trying to do this Lent thing. Lent being the church season that leads into Easter. Yep. So if those of you, um, uh, this week we've got a topic which is unity. And so here at Parkland Baptist, we're pretty keen to love God. We're pretty keen to love the Bible and to love people. Well, I am anyway. Um, I'd kind of like to choose which people I'd love, but that's not the deal. Um, and actually, one of the reasons, uh, loving the Bible, I confess, sometimes is tricky because it's got all these stories, loads, and there's so many of them, and there's all these details. And, but it, it's important that we keep coming back to it because it stops us from generating our own version of God. It, it kind of grounds us. Uh, I read this week of a guy who reckoned he could summarize the Old Testament in three sentences. What do you reckon? Three sentences. Here's what he said. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. (laughs) Same guy reckoned he could summarize the New Testament in three sentences. I love you. I forgive you. Can you see it coming? Let's eat. And actually... It makes us laugh, but it's not a terrible summary. Quite a few years ago, I was in a church that um, had a lot of university students in it who were flatting. And uh, so one of the things, if you're ever shifting into a flat, you'll know, and most of us here will have flatting experiences um, or will have flatting experiences. What kind of flat do you want to shift into? Because there are good flats and there are bad flats. And when you're in a good flat, life is pretty good. And when you're in a bad flat, life can actually be really grim. How do you have good flats? So um, someone much smarter than me said, well, this is something they're all facing. Why don't we go and ask people who are in good flats, what makes your flat good? So we did, came up with this little booklet of suggestions to say um, what to do to have a good flat. They were practical suggestions. Uh, Do more than your fair share makes for a good flat. Makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, Ask your flatmates good questions like, how was your day? Did you finish your essay? And wow, who did all that baking? Um, There was don't spar naked. One of the the flats had a spa. Um, There was the lighthearted. I still love this idea. Um, There was one flat who they would always, when they had a dessert, so if they had bought a cheesecake, they would chop it into one more portion than there were people there. Okay, so they'd eat and they'd have dessert and then they would play a game and the winner would get to eat the last portion of dessert. <laughs> Isn't that fun? I don't know if I'd suggest that for families because I can think of the fights that would come up. <clears throat> but the most obvious sign of a good flat, um, they said, was have a table and eat meals together. And I was a university chaplain and I would go in and out of flats and I can tell you now... The good flats, people ate together. The flats where people, and you know, there are dietary reasons for doing this, and people live busy lives. And I'm not saying, like, you know, let's be fair here, it's not easy for this. Um, But the flats where people all cooked for themselves and cleaned up, it felt like they were camping and not even camping together. You know, they were just overnighting at the same campground. 
Eating together is really important. There's something relational there. And the table is a place where we can be generous together. And in our 40 Acts of Generosity series, we're going back and looking at the early church, how they lived. Um, It's written by a guy called Luke. And Luke wants us to know that it wasn't just miracles together. Sorry, don't put the just there. It, It was more than miracles together. They want, he wants us to know that they also ate together. He wants us to know that there was this rich community life. Now we know, and last week we looked at this, the book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel of Jesus. And last week I pointed out that you can see in the book of Acts the church expanding, starting in Jerusalem and growing outwards and outwards and outwards, so you can see those circles going outwards. That's the whole book. And the first thing the writer Luke tells us about is Pentecost and um, Peter's speech and miracles, but he wants us to know about the life they shared in common. He wants us not just to know this is how they witnessed. Um, I found this great scholar who said, what Acts says is be the witness, do the witness, and then it says, says the witness, which is quite, I quite like that. I'm a sucker for a phrase. Not just to do the work of a witness, but actually to be it. And so there's a couple of times in Acts, and in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, when Luke kind of shifts gear. And if you're reading, it's kind of like, hang on, how do we get into this? When, and describes specifically, this is what the community was like. This is how they were being the witness, as opposed to a task you do together. And most of us who are Christians kind of wish our lives were like this. That we had this amazing sense of community, and we are currently a gathered community together, And sometimes we hope we're not this, because it actually sounds a bit scary in places. So what I'd like to do is I'd like us to read it together. But as we do, I'd like to invite you to notice to see if there's a word or phrase that leaps out at you. So I want you to read, but also be listening. Is there a bit that just kind of grabs me here? Um, And then once we've read it, we'll have a pause, and there's a chance to turn to the person next to you and say, hi, I don't know you, what's your name? Um, But also to say, actually... This is the word or phrase that leapt out at me. You don't have to unpack that majorly, but you got the idea? Yep, so we're going to read it, notice what leaps out, and it's also okay for you to say, look, I haven't had a coffee yet, I just, you know, pass, that's fine. Okay? So you could join with me. One, two, three. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Okay, is there a word or phrase that leapt out at you? I'll make it a little bit easier. I'm going to read it now and you just listen and then there'll be a gap for you to say something to the person next to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All right, your chance to say, this thing leapt out at me. Or you can talk about the weather. Uh, 
Okay, so Jim's commenting that there was, there's going to be a chance to interact for Jim's commenting on the importance of the word through, but I don't want people to miss what they're dealing with. Thanks. Okay, anybody keen just to say a word or phrase that leapt out at them? Everything in common? Together. Devoted? Everyone. Filled with awe. Fellowship. Prayer. Let's wander through a little bit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles being the ones who at that stage knew Jesus best, had traveled with Jesus. And this, to a large extent, in my mind, seems to be about being devoted to being set to learning together. Who is this Jesus like? What is that like? There's, uh, we don't actually know what they were teaching. The language is used for the teaching of Torah, but we, we actually don't know. However, it's significant that the apostles were doing it. And I do think something that's significant to a community like this is this is not necessarily a community that has all the answers. It's not all sewn up. If you're doing this, you're recognizing that what I know now is not the sum total of what needs to be done. If you're a community that's looking at this, then you're trying to find out. Next thing that leaps out for me is this kind of fellowship, sharing relationships or koinonia is the Greek and it means community or commonness so it actually picks up on that word together that we're going to see now we kind of have to notice this because in our world um, when people talk about church what they are typically talking about is a building or an event Sunday morning 10.30 yep, it's an event but actually no, no, church is a community. It's made up of people and relationships. It's why, for me personally, I love the fact that we have tea and coffee afterwards and please do stay and have, because I think that's the second half of the service. I think that's us building relationships together. I think that when we are a community marked by relationships, then we're getting closer to being church. Breaking bread, well... That's eating together. Well, actually, Luke never makes it clear if he's talking about a kind of communion thing or a shared meal. There seems to be some flex in there. I did find one scholar who said something, new idea to me. He said uh, the phrase breaking bread itself is really interesting. He said that uh, what they would do is bake bread. And now bread back then, pretty rough. We're talking about ovens or obviously heated with um, wood um, or charcoal or, or actually burning, burning fishies is another thing if you don't have a lot of... Uh, so rough bread. And he said, actually, um, in those days, the workers would get the burnt bottom half of the loaf, the worst part. You'd give that to your labourers. The, uh, the, um, the family would get the middle part of the bread. And um, I quite like this, the guests the special ones, would get the top, which is where we get the phrase, anyone know it? Upper crust. Yeah. And he said, yeah. 
<laughs> and he said, your English lesson for today. He said, the scholar said, when you break bread, what's really interesting is you are not doing that. Everybody gets a bit. Yep, you're not doing this layered stratified thing, which I thought was really interesting. Everybody gets some of the good and the burnt and the upper crust. So, a community that's committed to learning and growing together, that's sharing relationships, that's eating together, and that's praying together. Again, we're not sure. It is interesting that they're still well connected with the temple. We're not sure what that praying is, um, whether it's the prayers that the Jews are doing there. We just know that they're praying. And actually, quite a number of churches have used this as their core mission statement. They have said, learn, share, eat, pray. Um, I'd want to add together with all of those because there's some relationship in here. But of course, there's more. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs, miracles that God has supernaturally performed. And that is language that the Jews understood. They knew the language and they signs, they are signs that point to Yahweh. And wonders, well, what's the phrase people use? We say, uh, wonders are things that make you wonder. What's, what's that about? A funny thing does happen. And, and, and listen, we're a community that believe that God is capable of intervening in people's lives. That actually you can bring your needs to God. That that God, that same God that was capable of healing and surprising them back there is capable of doing that today. So whatever you have going on in your life, it is worth bringing it to God in prayer, and I would suggest with other people. But a very funny thing does happen in Acts. In Acts, um, Luke uses the language of signs and wonders in the first half, and in Acts chapter 15, he stops. And they're not... It's not because miracles have stopped, but it's because they think, we don't know, they think that after that, the Acts chapter 15 onwards starts living in the world of more of the Greek and Jews, and their mindset is not about signs and wonders. Their language is not signs and wonders. That's not how they think. And so they think, they're not certain, that one reason why the language, the coded language of signs and wonders disappears is now the people they're dealing with and focusing on, actually that's not useful language. Which, um, that really intrigued me. It's God still working miracles, answering prayers, healing, correcting, guiding, but maybe we have to watch what language we use based on who we're working with. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And just in case you wanted to skip over that, because if you've got a lot of money, you're probably not so ill, and stuff, you may not be quite so keen on everything in common. Um, Luke then unpacks that. He says, so he says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, so they didn't forget who they were. Right? They, this was at the beginning in Jerusalem, they're mostly Jews. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that is Luke's picture of the very early church, which is pretty glorious. And yep, sign me up. I'm in for that. That'd be great. There are some things to notice in the Roman world, power and possession was a way 
of getting what you wanted. And uh, um, in fact, power and possessions were to get more power and possessions. Sound familiar to today? Rich people did give money and resource to the poor, but there was a, a funny kind of arrangement whereby if you did that, then the poor person was beholding to you. So this would be like, and I haven't seen it happen here, but um, I remember visiting the Philippines in the 1990s. Um, there were politicians there who would come and paint their name on the basketball court and do it up a little bit, and then as a way of saying, vote for me, because I gave you this. Um, it's that, but a bit more of that. This is the mindset of um, the, the Roman world at that time. Essentially, if someone gave you something, you were kind of committed to support them, to vote for them if there was an election. It was a kind of an all-or-nothing thing. They call it patronage. It is as old as time itself. Um, it wasn't just the Jews and Romans that do it. In my papa is my family who voted against the village landlord. And they were warned, they did it one year, and in the second year that they voted against the village landlord, they were warned they'd get thrown off the land. That's how my family came to New Zealand. Because they broke the rules of patronage. I'll give you this, but you better give me that. And we still do this. Companies, uh, who likes getting freebies? Most of us. Companies love to give you freebies if they're building up this sense of connection to get you to do stuff. That's patronage. It, essentially, it's when the giving benefits the giver. Yep. But the early Christians lived counter to this. They are giving generously in relationship, and their focus is not on their benefit. The focus is the benefit of the receiver. You have a need, and I have power or position, uh, possessions that I'm willing to give up. Which is partly why we're doing a 40 days of generosity, of giving out rather than giving up. Because there's something distinctively Christian in it. And it's quite possible the early church, if they could travel in time to get to us, they would rebuke us. Here's a quote from a guy called Basil. Now, I always think of Faulty Towers, because I'm a certain age when I think of that, but it's the bishop and monk Basil, 4th century, who says, <coughs> harsh words, by the way, Are you not a robber, you who consider your own that which was, has been given to you solely to distribute to others? Pause for a moment. What have you got that has been given to you that you might give it to someone else. Mm. He carries on. This bread which you have set aside is the bread of the hungry. This garment you have locked away is the clothing of the naked. Those shoes which you let rot are the shoes of him who is barefoot. The riches you have hoarded are the riches of the poor. So Basil said, we've got stuff that isn't for us. And storing it in your cupboard, if it's not for us, no, you should give it to the people who it's for. That's what the early church did. They sold possessions for those who had need. And why this is distinctly Christian is we see this in the life of Christ, who when it's written about in Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus who was in very nature God, and did not consider equality of God, the power of this, as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the uh, very nature of a servant. And then it talks about his death on a cross. Jesus, who had rights to all power and possession, surrenders them for the sake of others. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? 
It's awfully like the gospel, isn't it? Of course, it ain't as easy as that, is it? Our world, we're designed to be individualistic and consumeristic. Consumerism has become so much a part and parcel of the very fabric of modern life that, you know, a few philosophers reckon it is the, uh, the religion of the late 20th century. Buying stuff, it will make you feel good. More stuff will make you feel better. And so you have to maintain it. We're in a world where um, everybody buys, our default is that everybody buys a lawnmower. Rather than sharing one. And this works really well for people who make things, because we have to make a lot of lawnmowers. And it works really well for, uh, for the makers of fast food. And it really, it's not so great on our environment. It's not so great in terms of living a life connected to others. And one of the measures, let's go back to the let's eat. Um, here's some slightly shocking statistics. One in four Americans eat at least one fast food meal every day. One in four. Now, okay, they're more an eating out culture than ours. They um, spend the same amount of money on fast food as groceries. Apparently they eat one in five meals in their car. Bags not clean the car. 60 years ago, the average meal time was 90 minutes, an hour and a half. You know, I like to guess what in America the average meal time is now. Oh, we're pretty good. I heard a 15, I heard a 26. Uh, the figure I have here is less than 12 minutes. Remember the summary of the Bible, let's eat. And I would say let's eat together. Now, I want to confess, actually, that I'm terrible at this. I'm very task-oriented for things like this. Meal is, um, uh, for me, something to be achieved. I was terrible. So it's, oh, now I'm feeling really tired. Can we stop? So I'm just, oh, oh. But when we eat alone and live alone, and then we are something less than fully Christian. Because actually we're designed to be connected to others. And this world that wants us have it to operate as marbles, it's not so great. And the early church lived very differently. We love the idea of having just one lawnmower, sharing it around. Just think of the money you'd save. But who wants to own that lawnmower? Who's going to maintain that lawnmower? How are you going to be when you want to use it and someone else has got it using it at the same time? We love the idea of caring, close community. We love the idea of being close to others. Just like if you've never had kids, you love the idea of kids. You know, they're great. I mean, they're cute and beautiful. And you know the smell of a newborn? They just smell fantastic. Other people's kids smell great. But I was reading this week, but they're an ambush. They're an ambusher there when you're near your kids. Well, they'll be messy and inconvenient and refuse to be what you try and make them. And so it is with church we and community. We love this idea, but actually when you get involved, people will not be what you want them to be. They are not what they should be. And the closer you get to people, the more easily it is to get deeply hurt. 
we can really easily hurt each other. In fact, the, one of the hardest things in community is dealing with our own brokenness. And you don't read of that in the early church, though remember there's a story coming up, Ananias and Sapphira. Actually, it's... So I, one of the, my questions when I read this passage is I think, when have I seen hints of this? And actually, it's a general question for you. Have you ever seen a community like the one we just read of? Now, I would put it to you that um, Jeremy Jackson's probably experiencing a bit of this at the moment in YWAM. All these people together on a big adventure, um, uh, a YWAM youth without any money. No, um, <laughs> there's an element, and actually they're relying on God, and actually they, none of them have got huge amounts of money coming in, so there's this community life experience. Who here would say, actually, I've experienced a little bit of that early church stuff? Yep, AJ. Oh, yes, the mission trip with um, Student Life up north. Yep. I want you to think about that a little bit. I, I've had some time to think about it. Now, I am very shaped. I had this four years of which two were living in a house full of drug addicts where we were, had no income and everything was shared. And it was very much an experience like the early church. And there were amazing miracles and healings and a huge amount of really hard work. And boy, did we have to deal with conflict. And I... I think of it as it, it was the best of times and the worst of times. And, and I do think they go together. And I think they go together in part because when we are close in the presence of others, and that's where you cannot run from your own stuff, in that place where you, we are accepting and putting Christ at the center, that is a place of God's grace. That when we have no solutions, we fall back on a reliance with the Spirit and the need to love one another. I'm not living in that house now. I live like the rest of you in the West, where we live houses, live in lives that are a bit more removed, it is more convenient. Um, there are things you love about it. And yet that community of God's grace, I want that. I don't think you can, I don't think we can do it without, as the early church had, the presence of God's Holy Spirit, because I think whatever our limits are, we will bang against them. I don't think we can do it without wrapping this up in the love of Jesus. I can tell you that the, uh, and I can't tell you that, uh, for me it's a little bit like playing uh, social netball. If you've ever played social netball, in theory it's a non-contact sport. But in reality you come off with these huge bruises. Um, if you're going to get close to people, they will bruise you. That is what we're like. The Pharisees lived by laws, rules, and exclusions. And Jesus showed us how to live by love, grace, and inclusion. Join in. And to do that, you have to have a common life. And church is designed to be that place to be together with people that you wouldn't be caught dead with on Saturday night. People who aren't just the same as you. That's why Jesus says... Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, 
Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. A common life with relationships. So what does it look like? Well, the church has had lots of goes of it. We've, uh, in the past, that guy Basil, he set up a monastery. People had a huge amount of stuff shared in common. We've had monasteries, we've had communes. Uh, sometimes they've been stunning, sometimes we discover they have been awful. It's a mixed bag. We've had, uh, nowadays there are people trying to do neighbourhood presence-based communities. People, instead of having all lots and lots of people living in one house, they try and have houses close by. I, um, I put up, these are my thoughts. Um, there's a guy called Charles Ringmar who, when I was quizzing him about how you grow good, healthy community like the early church, he said, oh, very slowly... He said he'd seen, he was a bit of an expert on communities, and he'd seen all the places that had rushed to do it, done it really quickly. He said, they don't last five years, ten years, they're gone. He said, it's little steps, baby steps, because we have to learn good ways of dealing with uh, conflict, because we actually have to accept that we're not going to make people what we want them to be. That's not how it works. So the baby steps are, well, um, if you come along to church, thank you, lovely, lovely to have you here. Stay for a coffee, talk with someone. Talk with someone you don't know, especially if you're a local. Talk with someone you don't know. Share a bit of your life. You could go a step further. You could have someone that you met with and did a bit of accountability with. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? Financial decisions. Um, we will always tend to think about ourselves and be selfish about this. Is there someone who's not part of your family and crowd who you could run your financial decisions past? Am I acting like a follower of Jesus? We'd need regular time together, which is why we have life groups. But it doesn't have to be life groups, it's just getting together with others, sharing your life, not so much being a task, but having shared time together. And I do think the let's eat is really helpful. To do that, you'd need to have a shared commitment to doing it. A number of people here got a commitment to coming to church on Sundays, awesome. Well, communities come with a bit of a commitment to each other. It's why family becomes our biggest model for this, because we're kind of committed to each other anyway. Happened to us before we got delivered into it. Families, the friends you don't get to choose. Yep. I think we have to accept that there will be pain in this process as there was for Jesus. In fact, I read someone this week who said the problem with the Western Christianity is we have not, we're pretending like there's a version of faith that doesn't involve pain. And he said that leaves the church anemic. If we were heading this way, well, structures would matter a bit, but it's not about structure, it's about relationship. I'll give you an example. Um, one church I was in, they had a roster. They said, who's got things? So at the moment, I'm honest, I have a lawnmower sitting at home, which we don't use. Okay? That's a dangerous thing to share, uh, share with you. So, now, one of the, this church made a list of all the things you had that you'd be happy to lend out. It didn't work so well. Well, it worked great. Lots of people, imagine everybody rang me up and said, could I use your lawnmower tomorrow? Well, I'd say, sure, because, you know, I'm not using it. Can you imagine what happened? After six months, a year of this, my lawnmower is no longer working. Um, actually, I don't really want to maintain it because I'm not using it. I am planning to sell it, perhaps for the money to go to the building fund, but I haven't talked about that with Lindy yet. So, 
Um, Sharing happens best in relationship. Actually, you share people naturally with the people you know, that you share your life with. We can do it outside of that, but it happens in structure, and I think that's the place where the spirit and love dwell together most. And I hope that's where signs and wonders happen. I confess one of my musings when I look back in the past, I think I've seen a bunch of church things that are focused on signs and wonders, and I wonder about the community life. I think they're supposed to go together, and that requires time together. So practicals, it means when you can, try and eat together with someone else. When you can, don't locate a rod for your back. Is there someone you can invite over for a cuppa or a meal? Take some times, choose to share with others. If you are spending hours and hours and hours and hours watching Netflix, consider giving it up for Lent. See what else that hurt, didn't it? <laughs> I heard someone visibly just uh, uh, consider that and say no. Um, <laughs> Consider where your time is going. I'm an introvert, so I need time that's just for me. But actually, where is your connection time with others? Ask yourself, is there stuff that God has given me that might be for other people and not for me? Not just gifts. Not just, you know, I'm talented in this. But also, I've got stuff that actually, eh. I think if we were to do this, we'd need to slow down a little. Some of us would need to slow down a little. If you're rushing from thing to thing to thing to thing, maybe just, can you slow it? And then the last bit, there was a guy who used to talk about how you deal with money, and his theory was this. His theory was we should fill our pockets with change. Because he said even if you've got no money, if you've got a pocket full of change, you feel like you've got money. So you don't feel like you're poor, even if you haven't. That's what he said. Yep. Well, I'm saying pockets full of change because you know what's happened in the world movement towards the cashless society? I'd never have cash on me. So I see someone in need, and I can help them if I have an FPOS machine handy. But I cannot respond. So what would it be if all of us made a decision that, yeah, we will put, if a number of us, $10 in our wallet that's not for us? And we'd say, well, a sum of money. And that money is not for us. And in the next month, we're just going to look around and see who could that be really useful for. That's the mindset of community, recognizing it's not all about me or for me, some is for others. Does that make sense? There are those pictures. They were learning together, sharing relationships, eating together, praying together. There were signs and wonders in their midst that had them pointing back to God, looking at God with awe, and they had life in common. And this was the start. Lest we get all lovey uh, dovey, um, this is all of this action that's happening, it's happening right in the center of Jerusalem. And you know what makes them move? When it all goes to pot. When there's huge persecution and this tight-knit community is driven out into the world and life becomes really uncomfortable and that's how the church grows. So, in one breath I'm saying, yeah, this is what we want as Christian communities. We want good relationships together, communication, love, sharing and that kind of stuff. But you know, actually sometimes pain's really important. Sometimes that's what drives us into mission. 
Sometimes that's how we end up being the witness and doing the witness, says the witness. So at this point, I want to ask you a couple of questions. So these are questions to set you up to have a conversation with someone, and then uh, we're going to have a benediction thing, and there'll be tea and coffee. I'm sorry for the people who wanted to get out. And, uh, the question is this. Think back to that earlier passage. I'll bring it up again. Have you ever lived in or seen any hints of this? Actually, I'll just leave this up. Have you ever seen a hint of this kind of early church? It could be little. I'll give another quick practical example. When my oldest daughter, Eleanor, was just in a second year of university, first year of university, if you're living in a hall you really in Dunedin, you don't need a car. Um, a family that we knew rang us up and said, hey, we've had this car, it's great, um, it's a, it was a Toyota Sprinter. Um, we've had it for a decent length of time. We're just, we've, our fam- they had grown in family size, they wouldn't fall fit in the car. So we're going to, uh, we've, we're going to buy a, a bigger car um, and we could probably get you know, $1,000 for selling this on Trade Me, but we just wondered if your daughter would like to have it. And she got about a year and a half of use out of that car before it died, as they do. That sense, we have stuff that's not for us. Actually, nice story. They did us that, and at the time we said, oh, it's funny, you know, we've got a bike rack for four bikes, and we've seen that you only have a bike rack for two. Do you want to take this bike rack? It, it's, it's that. That business of it's not all for me. Have you ever seen anything that looks like the early church? That is my question for you to discuss with others. Tell a story of sharing. I'd like to pray for us, and that will bring us, and then we'll have the benediction. God, uh, this is kind of an exciting vision of community, and we can feel thrilled to be part of this, and we can actually beat each other up for not being in that place. But this is something you did through people. And we don't live in the same time as way back then, but your spirit works through us, and we know we're called to more than our stuff. Jesus calls us to follow him, us together. So in our conversations, in our prayers, in our daily decisions, be present. Keep us with an eye to your heart for others. May we hold what we own lightly, that you grow your kingdom. And to finish that up, we'll have a wee benediction, and then it's tea and coffee, and a chance to chat and ask. Early church, ever seen anything like it? With me, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Thanks.